Good morning and welcome to CT Brandon. I am Pastor Nikki and I would love to say we are so glad that we can have you with us today. Today is exciting because if you've been following with us, we have been going through the book of Mark and guess what? You aren't going to believe it, but we are finally on our last message about the book of Mark and it has been such an awesome opportunity to go through this with you. So we are excited for this amazing message from Pastor Michael today and I would love to start by reading this scripture with you. So in Mark 12, uh, 13, it says, Later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by men, because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, Whose portrait is this? And whose inscription? Caesar, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. And there's one more passage in, um, in Mark 12. 41, it says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Let's head to Pastor Michael. The number 13 is thought to have been particularly lucky prior to World War I, especially in France for, I don't know, whatever reason. Some Asian countries consider it very lucky, while others the exact opposite. In the 1800s, there was a teaching the Judas was the 13th member of the Cool Kids Discipleship Club because Jesus was number one. So that made things very unlucky. 13 was bad. Even think about hotels. Older hotels do not have a 13th floor. They go right to 14 because it is unlucky. Luck is something we often try to translate to our personal finances as well. We believe that luck plays a big part in our financial clarity, stability, and maybe even future. But there is no luck. There's no such thing as luck, good or bad. It's, it's real. not real. It's just not a thing. But let's be honest. If there was a legitimate get-rich-quick scheme that your buddy came along with, how many of us would jump at it in exchange from doing the hard work of adulting. There are, of course, times when you make a decision that pays off well, and you're like, oh, that was lucky. Maybe it was just good business savvy. I don't know. But there's no such thing as luck. Those times are few and far between, and they usually take a specially skilled business person with some incredible talent to pull it off. I think 99% of us 
Everything we do takes hard work and even incredible amounts of discipline. Dare I say discipleship. In the Bible, God's story often talks about our finances and his finances as if they were closely connected to each other. Worship, as I have talked about, includes retelling, refocusing, and reflecting on God's story. In the main text that Pastor Nikki read for us today, there is an Old Testament story that's connected to a New Testament story through culture and knowledge that we'll talk about in a second. So Jesus in the New Testament narrative there in Mark is giving some commentary while people entered the temple and his audience was the disciples and maybe some more. But there was a familiarity as he spoke about this widow. Jesus knew maybe divinely or maybe because they knew her about her poverty. She came and put in what she had. There was a sense of carefulness in this putting in of her two copper coins, a sense of focus, a sense of intent. Contrast that with the many rich people that threw their money into its desired location. Here's the Old Testament part. Let's talk about these locations. The system of the time was not just some simple offering plate. It was, it was a massive system. We're thinking way too small when we think like that. The, the temple was church times a thousand. Their, this, their life was built around coming to the house of God. So when it came to giving, it was way more complicated. There was 13 offering plates. In fact, they were shaped like trumpets. Now, for those of you who lived through the charismatic days of the 90s and early 2000s, this was, this was shaped like what was called a shofar, the, the Jewish ram's horn thing that people would blow. Yeah, this was a really weird offering plate. They were shaped like shofars. There was 13 of them all lined up, each with its own purpose and designation. Sort of like an old accounting system mixed with musical instruments um, that you were forced to put money into as you walked through the door. Now, instead of going through all of them, let's put them into three categories. The first category, there was separate plates that were for dealing with sin and guilt. Oh my goodness, guilt was a huge one. Now, before Christ came and became our ultimate sacrifice, you would occasionally, periodically, and consistently sacrifice based on life, sin, and guilt. So there were specific offering boxes for purchasing animals for sacrifice, ones for burnt offerings and the like. There were even surplus boxes based on the amount that would have come in financially into these main sin and guilt boxes. Sin and guilt was big business. In fact, when Jesus overturned the tables in the temple, many scholars believe that these are the tables he was talking about. But because people were, were being ripped off as they tried to purchase their freedom through sacrifices, something had to be done. And Jesus came along and said, I'm, I'm not dealing with this anymore. This is absolutely crazy. And I am a better way. There are two other categories of boxes, okay? And um, I want to talk about these ones as well. The next category, we will, we'll call these ministry supply boxes. 
So these were not mandatory boxes. These, is, these were just extra boxes. You could put money in to help buy things like gold for the Holy of Holies. You could help buy the frankincense for the ceremonies. Or there were even boxes for those who volunteered to buy wood for the altar for people to burn. These are not mandatory boxes. These are for people who could do a little bit more. People who could, had a little extra and they could help further the practical needs of the temple. Now, we still kind of do this one today. In the church world, we often have what we call out-of-budget projects. These are things that either need we need in church or something we'd like to do as a staff. Many of this, um, many of, of this, these things that we we need what's called found monies for them, um, and so you 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 talk to people, and if someone is interested in a project, you say, well, I have this. If you're interested, you could give to this. At any time, we exercise this one because we have an aging building and a growing congregation. Aging building, growing congregation, they don't go together well. But together, those things require attention. Sometimes we come to you guys and with a project and we say, hey, is anyone in the congregation willing to buy into this because this needs to happen? But for ancient Israel, it was far more structured. However, notice this. It is still very focused on mission. Much like anytime we bring you a project, it's focused on the mission of the church. The mission for them was worship and supplying people with the ability to worship. So the projects were wood for the sacrifices, gold and frankincense. Mission. Now, the third is probably the most applicable for us today and probably where our widow in the text was putting her two copper coins. This is the piece that addresses our personal finances. So two of the boxes on the list, and they're usually the first on the list, were for you to pay your tithe and for you to pay your past tithes. So a tithe is a word that represents 10%. It is a Hebrew word that comes up from Genesis on in Scripture. This is fairly normative in the religious world. Tithing, for those of us who um, use the Pentateuch as the beginning of our Scriptures, see that it predates the law and speaks to bigger topics than just finance. I, I think that alone... That concept right there is worth talking about, how it's so much more than money. As part of our membership, we include tithing at, at CT in most POC churches. It's important because you then recognize that your existence comes from God. It is not a tax, but it is a returning to God what he has blessed you with. We believe that tithing happens to the local church and in the local church. I believe in giving to missions 100%. Don't get me wrong on that. Amberly and I support missionaries and missions organizations outside of our tithe. But we recognize that the biblical setup is to bring your tithe to what is called the storehouse in Malachi or in, in modern day language, the local church. I am a strong believer personally in old school spiritual disciplines. 
I believe we need to learn from Scripture what godly principles are and know that, that following them keeps us focused. Prayer, fasting, it keeps us focused. I was eight when I decided to start tithing on my allowance. I was never told to do so. I saw it modeled and decided to follow suit. This continued my whole life. Then when I got married, we decided together that we would make tithing a principle that we kept and that we would model in our family. Even at times when we were uh, poor, looking for a change in the sofa and looking for change in the car for food, we always tithed. We could have used the money that we tithed. Um, it would have really helped, but we remained faithful to the concept. Like the Apostle Paul said, that learn to be thankful in lack and in abundance. One thing I always noticed is that tithing helped keep us out of debt. I know that sounds kind of extreme and weird, but here's why. Biblical principles on money have actually very little to do with your income. They have everything to do with your obedience and spiritual discipline. Not trying to get rich quick in life, not trying to spend what you don't have, but you focus, you, you make a budget and you, you put things in order. I found that creating a budget so that you can include a tithe, um, when we did this, we were able to focus on our finances and make sure that every last dollar went where it needed to go. When seasons are tight in life, and those seasons come, so we are purposeful that the last thing that gets cut in our giving is our giving and our tithe. We always cut eating out, we cut entertainment from our budget, we cut frivolous things, and then go from there. But tithing has helped us to be intentional about our money and even more intentional about our lives. What do we want our lives to be about? What do we want our lives to be focused on? Now, here are three takeaways for you today that I hope help. Um, they do for us, they did for us. Uh, first of all, this isn't about Old Testament laws, about guilt and shame. Those are free yesterday. Today is a new day. If you are feeling um, convicted about this topic, that's probably good. And if you're feeling frustrated, that's probably good. But move forward with that. The shofar-shaped collection of shame and guilt are gone. Let's move forward in Jesus' name. Move on from where you are today to where you need to be. Don't feel bad about the past. We move forward. Number two, concepts of, of um, biblical finances are about putting finances in order. Make a budget. Plan to honor God in that budget. Spend time in scripture learning about what God said through people long ago on this matter, and then spend time leaning into that. Number three, I encourage you to keep going in giving in whatever capacity you're in right now. You will find like I did that the more you trust God with the, the thing that you hold closest to your heart, and that thing we stress about is money. That thing we, we are constantly focusing on is usually money. That thing that 
is there always. It's money. Give it to God and let him improve on what you're doing with that. Let him help you with your focus. Let him help you with your clarity. If you want to start tithing, and a lot of people have had this conversation, here is my advice. Uh, make a budget, again. Start with 5% if you can't get to 50, uh, can't get to 10. But start with 5 and work your way up to 10. And you will find that your focus improves and what you're doing with your money improves. Knowing where your money is going is really important. It helps you be generous and it helps you keep focused on the bigger picture and not just temporary things like a burger or a new pair of shoes. You, you don't need that. The widow, her coin, it might have been her tithe. It might have been her generosity. It might have been something bigger to her in her heart. But she knew the simple overarching story of God for her her God is everything. She knew that in her overarching story of God, without her, without him, she was nothing. Let me pray for you this morning as we conclude. From number six, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace in elements of finances, in elements of stress, in all the things that come at us on a day-to-day -day basis. Honor God and let him give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen.